Hit it, Joe. You all know my Uncle Monty, don't you? Monty the Magnificent at your service. Tell it to Monty. You coming to see Uncle Mine's big benefit show? You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. Welcome to episode six of Uncle Monty's Variety Show. This is Monty. With me, as always, is El Greco. Find us at UncleMonty.net or on all social media, Uncle Monty Pod. You know, folks, we're uh, we're still a fairly young podcast. We've struggled to find sponsorship, but this week we're proud to announce that we have brought in our first sponsor, and that is the National Rifle Association. Now, uh, as many of you know, in the past week there was a shooting at the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Seventeen kids killed. El Greco, what are your thoughts? My hopes and prayers go out to the NRA. The one thing that really pisses me off is these kids. Now these kids want to march? Let it go. 17 kids are killed. Let it go. And yet these kids want to march. And it's a dick move, bro. If you're a kid at a high school and you get shot up, maybe you ought to take a look in the mirror and see how you contributed to getting all your friends shot up. Yeah, like this 15-year-old gets shot holding the door up for other kids to evacuate. What do you expect? Yeah, what was he thinking? And now these kids are crying about how they feel unsafe. And, you know, these are kids who survived. Right. And, and now they're complaining. They're complaining. You know what I think they ought to do with these survivor kids? What? Line them up and shoot them down. Right. Shoot more kids. I mean, these kids... Should have been using kids as shields to protect themselves. <laughs> Why didn't they think of that? I mean, if you're a kid and you want to survive a, a massacre and they're going to keep coming, you got to be strategically thinking you need a battle plan. You have to have already in your mind, think of the kid you're going to use as a shield to protect you from the next crazed gunman that enters your school. Find a weaker kid you can use as a shield to protect you. Your first day at school, right. you look around the yard, you find the weakest kid, you reel him in as your bitch, you make him think that he can trust you, and when some shit goes down, you grab him, and he's your first line of defense. You got to prep him a little bit by giving him, like, hugs and then giving him back massages. Just you want him close to you, so you got to prep him for being a shield by kind of doing things under the guise of caring for this person by going, hey, turn around, you look stiff, and give him a little massage, shift him left and right, kind of in your mind predicting like how you're going to use this human as a shield when the gunman enters the school. You know, it helps if he's got some meat on his bones, right, to slow down the bullets. When you identify your shield, also remember to fatten him up. Bring a lot of candies to school. Right. You know, get him, get him hooked on sweets. Right. You know, just keep fattening him up. Just that's that's right. Have another slice. <laughs> Have another helping of fries. You Yeah, you know these massacres are going to keep coming because I don't see gun regulations being becoming any more stricter. These politicians that the NRA supports, these are people who are smarter than us. And I don't even think we should be questioning the decisions they make. Leave it to the experts. Leave it to the experts. What do these fucking kids know about guns? Right. 
if you're in the National Rifle Association, that means you know stuff about rifles. We shoot some saw, shoot some spar, shoot the paw, do do raw, do do saw, do do raw. We da da shraw, la pa saw, da da raw, la da shri, lo poo Have you ever questioned whether or not you're a good person? Almost every day. I uh, had a situation recently where I'd been corresponding with a woman on WeChat and mm. getting kind of mixed signals where she would say, um, I can't see you, I'm married. And then I would say, send me some sexy pictures, and she would. So that kind of went back and forth for a while. Well, by and by, we find out that it's actually a situation where her husband's dying of cancer. So she feels a little responsible for him, although they don't have much of a romantic relationship, and they haven't for a long time. Mm. So this woman's pretty sexy. And so I said to her, I think your dying husband would want you to be happy. Why don't you come up here and see me? (laughs) So basically I'm saying, I think your dying husband would want you to have sex with me. Is that bad? I mean, in a way, I think... If he was really caring, he would want her to have sex. But for me to be manipulative that way makes me question if I'm a good person. Yeah, that's a yeah, yeah, that's a pretty shitty thing you're doing. Yeah. Well, how's it shitty? I'm well, just saying I, I just said something that I believe to be true. I think your dying husband would want you to be happy. Uh-huh. And then part of her being happy, I think, would be hanging out with me. Well, uh, but isn't it just because you want to fuck her? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. I mm. mean, uh, you know, uh, don't you think she should probably be with her dying husband while he's dying and, you know, taking care of him or stuff? Or Well, that's how she feels, yeah. right? Yeah. But I feel that probably wouldn't be a lot of fun. I knew, actually, I knew this woman who took care of her dying husband. He would had died, He was dying for so long, he just wouldn't give in. And after a while, she's like, God, I just wish this guy would just surrender to the, the sweet siren call of death. And it just went on forever. And she felt she couldn't get on with her life. And I was over at her house one night. She was an older, older lady. And she goes, well, could you please have sex with me? <laughs> and I said, OK. He goes, I want you to wear a condom. And I'm like, look, at lady, you're old. If you were really young, then you'd have a little leverage in this negotiation. But you're really old and you want me to use a condom? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, you know, on one hand, I respect this woman for taking care of uh, her husband. But I also feel, you know, I don't think it's an unconscionable thing to ask this woman to kind of drive up and have sex. Do you think she'll go for it? Uh, Maybe, maybe. We'll see how it goes. She's pretty sexy, though. Shoo, su, su, wa, shri, da, shra, la, la, we, we, do, sa, shra, la, la, ha, we, di, bla, we, di, sa, da, ra, la, da, da, shri, lo, pu, pa, la, da, da, shra, we, di, sa. So we had a uh, a Super Bowl party uh, a few weeks ago over at your place. Yeah. And um, your lawyer, Ned, came over. That's right, Ned. I seem to remember something about Ned. He uh, he has an ex-girlfriend that he has a complicated relationship with. 
Well, Ned's ex is actually a partner at his firm. Okay. Yeah, so they're still, it's a little complicated. And Ned has some narcissistic qualities. He flies into a rage whenever he senses rejection. It makes him panic. Mm-hmm. If he feels someone's rejecting him, he feels panicked. And this has happened twice with this particular woman who he was never legally married to, but, you know, they were trying their best to have, like, a marriage-like relationship. And the first time they broke up, um, she started dating someone new. And the more he thought about it, the crazier it made him. So he still had a key to her apartment. So one night he goes over there, and she's wearing her schoolgirl outfit. And her and her Norwegian, I think she's really into Scandinavian men, um, were, were just finishing up fucking. They're, they're just fucking, and he walks in, and he sits sort of in a fugue state in the living room. And he's an intimidating presence, right? He's like a big guy. And so they come out, and they're both covered with sweat because they just got done fucking. And they're both startled. And he's like, hey, I probably shouldn't be here, but uh, I just had to see you. And then he says to the guy, I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> and he says back to him, see those tits? I bought those tits. <laughs> and he goes, I'm not leaving. <laughs> and so they finally called the cops and he had him removed. Now, if she didn't like him, Things could have gone south pretty quickly, right? You know, it's trespassing, it's stalking. But obviously she has a sweet spot for them. And as it turns out, they got back together. Hmm. So then the second time she started dating someone new, he freaks out again. So he drives down to uh, her place in, uh, I think, South San Francisco. Yeah. And on the Uber ride down there, he's got an upset stomach. And so he's starting to have a little bit of diarrhea. Uh-oh. So he knocks on the door and knocks on the door and she says, get away. I'm going to call the police. You're scaring me. And he knocks on the door some more. Then finally he goes, God, I got to shit my ass. So he goes around the corner and finds her little tool shed where all of her children's Halloween costumes have been stored. And he squats down and he takes the messiest shit ever. I mean, there's shit in his shorts. It's running down his socks. It's splattered his shoes. And now he has nothing to wipe. So he reaches up. And he grabs one of like the Halloween costumes that mommy's made herself, sewn herself, and he wipes his ass, covering it with shit, with runny diary. <laughs> he's he's basically wiped out an, an entire uh, Halloween costume wardrobe collection. And just at that moment, he peers out of like the tool shed. There's six cops with their like guns, like you know, drawn and pointed right at him because they think he's like some creep. Hiding in the tool shed. So he tries to explain himself. She doesn't press charges. And life goes on, right? What did the cops do when they saw him all covered in shit and with shit all over the place? And he's like hiding in the tool, in the shadows of a tool shed, <laughs> squatting down. There's there's shit all over the place. It's, it's on his knees and it's on his, on his hairy calves. It's just like he's like a wild Neanderthal. Now, a little bit more on Ned. He he had added you to um, a text group. Like a kind of a closed network text 
that you group. you guys were texting back and forth. It was you and him and a bunch of his buddies all discussing sports. Well, he put me in this group. I I don't. I think that it was kind of his gesture of saying, "Yeah, El Greco's one of the guys," and uh, he thought I would really dig talking sports twenty four seven with his group of guy friends. Yeah, I said, "Hey, just want to introduce myself. I'm a." 40 something by curious male. I'm I'm always up for taking a risk. <laughs> I I like playing fast and loose. I'm always up for a new discreet adventure. <laughs> and so his friends just unloaded. I think some of them were from back in South Carolina. Like, get out of here, fag. Nice one, fag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for you, homo. <laughs> And so the next time I saw Ned, Ned was all kind of tightly wound about the situation. He was upset. He felt betrayed. One of my favorite pastimes is to uh, create fake profiles on dating sites. Yeah, you told me about that. And see what kind of uh, response I get. So I got this one guy on uh, OkCupid called The Misogynist, spelled <laughs> M-A-S-S-A-G-Y-N-I-S-T. So far, so good. He says, he goes, yeah, a lot of chicks ask about my name. I call myself The Misogynist because, duh, I give great all-over body massages. He's got a picture of himself with a sedated tiger and he says, first of all, it's not a sedated tiger. It's a Bengal tiger, you dumb hoe. <laughs> Second of all, I've got tiger blood. And third of all, it shows my style. Backwards ball cap, beer t-shirt, camo board shorts. Because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and then, you know, like what I'm doing with my life, he says, just getting better and better. Lifting with my bros at the gym, watching the game, tailgating, living like a baller, making deals, crushing it. He's really good. He says, I'm really good at ultimate fighting, mixed martial arts, and being awesome. Favorite books? He says, books are for fags. For movies, I like anything with Steven Seagal. Six things he could never do without. My dick, my truck, my bros, and wings. So anyway, here, here are the, the quality of women you get who, who seem to legitimately respond to this profile. Did anyone send you? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, oh yeah. So uh, here are the messages. I just have to meet you. She looks hot. Anytime, sexy. She really looks good. Hmm, what happened? I don't bite. Hey, when are we going to hook up? You are more than welcome to come over to my place anytime, she says. I live in Sacramento. Then I didn't, I guess I didn't respond fast enough. She says, guessing you're not interested. Maybe you're too good to be real. Come now, I don't bite. I'm just tired of the fakes and flakes on here. No one is real anymore. That chick's pretty good looking. This has to be some kind of social experiment. No way this profile is real. <laughs> I'm real, baby. 100% grade A beef. Huh, well, hope it works for you. I'd like to work out with you. You look hot in that bikini. No thanks, I don't work out. Are you into threesomes? You have Your friend looks hot. No thanks. Do you like unicorns? <laughs> <laughs> you really threw a curveball there. 
I'm pretty ambivalent toward unicorns. You? I don't know what the fuck that means, but I like them. <laughs> That's great. Let's see. We got a... Uh, We've got newbie here, newbie in SF. Uh, yo, that profile has to be a joke. No joke, baby, and you're looking fine. Thanks, boo. You look hot as fuck, too. I know. So, are we down? Yes. Hot. When and where? You tell me. Your place tonight. Nah, your place, not mine. Cool. Got a car? We. Oui. Meet me at Crunch on Chestnut Street tonight at 8. I'll be lifting. Then we'll go to my place. I don't know where that is. Missed you. Where is it? <laughs> what? These, I the, think, are these women attractive? I mean, you, it sounds like you legitimately could hook up with them. <laughs> I mean, this is the craziest thing is they really seem to be down. This totally. is a better response than I've ever gotten, totally. which is like, which is insane, right? Uh, I don't know. Somehow it makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre. Keep going. Keep going with this. this is oh, here we go. Here's fucking hilarious. Here's Claire Bear. She right. says, I love massages. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> right? I mean, that they, these women really seem down. I mean, you have given every indication that you are not capable of having an, any sort of intimacy and these women are still down with it. Well, you know, there are a lot of women, particularly uh, ones who seem to haunt these online dating sites, who are really kind of uh, like, self-destructive. Right, thrill seekers, right? And, well, and, and they, they seek men who are going to who are gonna hurt them and treat them like shit. And they, they, they're attracted to narcissistic well, you, men. Well, you, you should... This is another profile that I did, which is not a... Uh, this is not like a narcissistic guy. This this is a uh, he's he's like a hillbilly. This guy, his self summary. He says, "I got one arm, but it's good for giving hugs. <laughs> Had a hard life, just want an honest woman. God bless." <laughs> I got one arm, but it's good for giving hugs. <laughs> So, okay, what I'm doing with my life on disability. <laughs> law- <laughs> All right, what I'm doing with my life on disability. Lost my arm in a lawnmower wreck. I still mow grass, but I don't do it drunk no more. That's great. <laughs> I'm really good at pitching horseshoes. <laughs> <laughs> Pitching horseshoes, shooting beer bottles, and dirt bike jumps. <laughs> Favorite books, movies, Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Skinnered, Iron Maiden, NASCAR, pornos, chips, beer. Uh, six things I could never do without. The Lord, my 12-gauge, America, Oxycontin. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about how my brother Jesco stole my gal and I'm going to kill him one day. On Friday nights, I am drunk. Uh, let's see. You should message me if you're a good woman who can cook soft food because I ain't got all my teeth. <laughs> you can take care of this one-armed outlaw and bring in some liquor money. All right, so that's that's uh, that's the profile. Right. Uh, Did anyone let's respond? See, let's see. We got some likes here. We got some likes. We got likes from... Uh, I just weird random 
These are the women who liked it? These are the women who liked it. Some of them are hot. And some yeah, of them, many of them are. Most of them are. Let's see here. Like one of these one of these chicks, she's got like pictures of herself naked and stuff. Oh, she's a TS. It's yeah, trans, oh, oh, it's a trans transvestite yeah. or transsexual. Yeah. Okay. And as you were saying, what is the profile of the type of woman who would go after a profile of someone who is what is the word you're you're telegraphing the fact that you're trouble? Yeah, you're well, really telling it's it's not you're not hiding anything. There's no errors here. Well, you've created a profile and it's making it quite clear you're you're trouble. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the women who go on these sites are uh, self-destructive and they're attracted to men who are going to treat them like shit, who are inaccessible, who are hyper masculine alpha male types who, you know, they're they're attracted to the the inaccessibility and they feel the, these women feel so shitty about themselves that they're attracted to a man who is going to make them feel not very valuable. It's almost that's what they're used to, right? It's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, what would be scary is if some guy actually was a, a caring guy, they'd be like, what the fuck are you trying to do? Where the fuck are you coming from? Yeah. Or they think a man like that is, you know, is weak is, or is, is isn't, weak. you know, capable of uh, providing for them. Right. And all that kind of shit. Sort of the same thing why some women fall in, guy, fall in love with guys who are are on death row, right? Like Richard Ramirez. Oh, yeah. yeah the that son whole, of Sam. That, that whole thing is fat. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that's all about. I, well, it's about celebrity, right? I think they think these guys are celebrities. that They see him on TV. All of a sudden, they become an immediate rock star. It doesn't matter that they've killed and tortured. They were on TV. That's and TV trumps everything. Yeah, I think that's the celebrity aspect is part of it. Right. You know, uh, Richard Ramirez was actually convicted. He was in the late 70s, right? That's when he was convicted? Mm, no, it was the 80s. 80s. Er, early 80s, right? Uh, yeah. It's like mid 80s. It was no. like, yeah, it was like 85, 86. Really? I thought it was much earlier than that. Mm. He was called the Night Stalker, right? Yep. Well, my dad thought it was the funniest thing in the world when they asked him, what, did the, what do you think of your conviction? And he goes, I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> he really said that. Like a, like a professional sports guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. He just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. He did have kind of a sense of humor. He, he goes, I'm going, he goes, what do you think? He goes, I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> he would walk, he would walk into the courtroom and flash the devil sign. He really got into the sort of the, the dramatics of his, uh, his role. Right. I knew this voluptuous black chick who worked as a security guard at San Quentin, right, where he's he's uh, waiting death row. He's dead he now. He, he, yeah. yeah, he died. And she said the scariest night ever is like the light went out in his cell. And she's like going from cell to cell, bringing meals. And she's like, there's nothing in his cell, just shadows. And uh, she's like, hello, tapping on the bar. Hello. And just like from the shadows, he kind of emerges like, you <laughs> rang? You know? And so... And she goes, that's the most frightening night of my life. It was like the night, like, you know, Richard Ramirez's light went out in his cell and she was bringing the inmates food. So that was a. Yeah. 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 The uh, some of those guys really learn how to work the media. I mean, like uh, Charles Manson became a master of like manipulating his own celebrity. 
Right. You know, he would like negotiate these, you know, uh, interviews that he would do with the media and a lot of those like the a lot of those things like there was that that marriage that he did shortly before he died. He married some much younger woman. That whole thing was like, you know, sort of something he staged for publicity. Yeah. I uh I remember there being interviews with Charles Manson where the interviewer came across as so much less dignified as Charles Manson. <laughs> and this had happened a couple times where Tom Snyder had an interview with Charles Manson in the cell once. And Tom Snyder was so desperate for ratings at the time. And he was goes, what do you want to do? Want to hit me, Charles? Want to hit me? I bet you that's what you want to do. Charles Manson's being really dignified going, no, why would I want to hit you, man? He goes, no, I'm not going to hit you. And it just showed how desperate Tom Snyder was. And his show was canceled a couple of weeks before that. Yeah, I, he, was, after he that, was terrible. He was terrible. Tom Snyder was one He's of He was such a fucking hack, huh? He was just such an awful interviewer. And, yeah. Man. Yeah, like... Uh, he did that. Dan Aykroyd did a good impersonation of him. Yeah. Go, oh, you just got to wonder what's on his mind. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a it's a sad thing when Charles Manson's more dignified than you are. Yeah. Him and Geraldo Rivera. Jesus, what a piece of shit. <laughs> All right, so I've I've got something. Okay, I'll run by you something a, a Tinder Rooney. We'll call this chick Chow. So let's let's kind of go through this. Let's I'll do a quick rundown. Um, she wants to get together, but it's all sort of touch and go. So I go. Uh, do you want to go for a stroll in botanical gardens this weekend? Please let me know. My weekend is starting out great. How about you? I go. Um, Thinking maybe she didn't read my note. I'm like, do you have time to stroll with me in Botanical Gardens? Thank you for inviting me to Botanical Gardens, but I'm fully booked already. Not this weekend, sorry. And I go, well, how about we make a plan next week? She goes, I can meet you for dinner Monday at 8.15 p.m. Let me know if that works for you. Um, And I go, well, could we start out with something simpler and then work up to dinner? Maybe an after work drink or tea or coffee. Propose a time and date and I'll be there. She goes, that's going to be tough. How about coffee or tea first, then go from there? I thought girls like incremental steps. I work 11 to 12 hours most days. My availability to meet is during dinner time. I have limited time for coffee or tea. So it's already sounding very self-righteous, pretentious, (laughs) right? And so then I write back. I don't want to kind of, so I kind of do this petty game of one-upmanship. She's like 12 hours a week. That's the only time I have to meet is Monday, 8.15 for dinner. So I go... Yeah, I know. I'm consulting full-time in high-tech, and I'm producing a musical that's heading to Broadway and another one that's opening this year, and then I'm teaching dance aerobics, so my goodness. You know, kind of playing this petty game of one-upmanship. She goes, yeah, we're busy people. Then I give her, like, the links, and she goes, I appreciate you sharing your work. I go, she goes, I'm in develop personal growth and development. I go, what does that mean? She goes, I can share when we meet. It's ontological. Do you know what that means? <laughs> ontological? Uh, you know, that's that's a... Uh... A really general term that could mean a lot of is that some sort of mystical i don't know what it means either i go is it the cross-section of physics philosophy and psychology existential huh she goes no ontologically (laughs) i'm like okay well how would you describe it question mark i am trying to ground the abstraction of it i will share when we meet i can appreciate you're interested i go yes i'm very interested we'll see about that she responds and then she goes 
I don't think we're a match. I wish you the best. <laughs> just so neurotic, right? But you just knew you were heading in the wrong direction when she said, 815 Monday, I can meet with you. I'm really busy. Yeah. Yeah, just the sense of uh, self-importance. Right. God, dating is so horrific. If the show Seinfeld taught us anything, it's... Uh, well, and online uh, dating is online doubly, dating doubly is, horrific. It's doubly horrific. Like, uh, I think I told you I met this woman at, at a Starbucks the other day. Her and her friend were talking, and then they went in the bathroom together, and then I kind of, like, wait outside lurking as they come pop out of the women's room. But not so quite so lurking. I kind of made my move, and uh, I almost feel... You, you get put in a certain bucket. If you're like dating online, then you automatically get kind of put into like this bucket where you're perceived to be suspect. Do you think that's true? Uh, I think that women are, are definitely very guarded about meeting someone who's a stranger, who's an anonymous, who they just, you know, happen to meet on online. Yeah. Right. As opposed to someone who is who they meet, uh, who kind of has a reference uh, through, through you know, being introduced by someone else they know. Right. But I would say they're probably more guarded meeting an anonymous guy online than meeting an anonymous guy on the street. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the anonymous guy on the street, you get the feeling, well, maybe you create the illusion that he's a guy who's been single for a while he's not looking at anyone else just you but if you meet an anonymous guy on a dating app Mm -hmm. you can just assume he's talking to a bunch of women Mm, so that makes you even doubly guarded yeah yeah Yeah, that's your yeah and there's the whole context you know you're you're, both of you are sort of in the in the meat market looking to meet someone as opposed to you know if you meet someone in the wild there's 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 no context around it it could go you know friendship it could go you know whatever right like this woman i met at starbucks have you ever let me ask you this have you ever met a woman and right away the movie starts running in your head do do to do 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 to do have you ever met a woman whether it was just a fantasy or reality mm-hmm. where you thought wow this could be the one or you're not as you're not as undisciplined as I am. You're probably more dis. I'm. A, I can be undisciplined with my mm, your fantasy, letting your fantasies go. Um, fantasies go, and then just kind of like how much you want to invest, right? You know, you kind of want to do it incrementally, a little bit of reciprocity. So, do you? How how do you get it? Have you ever had that happen? Oh well, yeah. You know, you've you've had that movie run in your head right away upon meeting someone. Yeah, when I was younger, definitely. That used to happen all the time. All the time. Like, holy shit, if I could just get together with this chick, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. Yeah. Really? All the time. I thought I was the only kind of fool. And then I've just been, you know, so beaten down and disappointed by life that uh, I don't have those kinds of fantasies anymore. But you know what? I think I'm better off without them, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think... uh... I think if you're uh, not married to that fantasy, then you can kind of focus more on making yourself happy, right? You know, first, because that fantasy is sort of about all this person will make me happy. 
And I think that's like a big responsibility. I mean, I think that's kind of unfair to the fantasy. I think the fantasy gets a bad deal on that one. <laughs> Expecting the fantasy to carry the weight of your happiness. Yeah, well, the fantasy's never going to materialize, but uh, yeah, you know, um, you, you, you're 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 better off without the fantasy uh, because. Be, you, well, when you really want that fantasy and you're so invested in it, uh, you're very vulnerable and uh, you're very vulnerable to rejection, to being manipulated. Uh, if you don't have the fantasy and you don't have high expectations, then uh, you've got a lot less to lose. Right. I also think if you're not putting your pussy on the pedestal, I think then you can have like a stronger foundation for something have you, uh, have you ever gotten caught cheating and how did you weasel your way out of it uh no i've you know i've not, i've never really been a cheater you never have been huh no i you know no but why haven't you you just haven't had like uh just uh, the initiative? You've never taken the initiative? <laughs> you lack the initiative to become a cheater. I, I don't know. Maybe it was that... Uh, you can't tell me it's because you're traditional. No. Uh, I think it was just maybe the opportunities didn't present themselves or I didn't pursue them aggressively enough. You just rested on your laurels. Well, Jesus Christ, I cheat and I get caught all the time. How does that happen? I'm just fucking stupid, you know? I just I'll always get caught. Like, there was this girl I was dating, and I'd cheat, and I'd leave, like, the soiled condom, like, in the in the trash can, and she'd <laughs> open it up and see a soiled condom. We didn't use condoms. It's like, I just found this condom in the trash can, you know? And so how are you going to talk your way out of that? What did you do? I said, I've been masturbating with condoms lately. <laughs> and I know it seems weird, but I just wanted to try. <laughs> That's how I got out of that one. She bought it? She bought it. Man. And then the second time, like, I had written to my life coach, I wanted to talk about this chick who was all the way out in Harbor Bay, this really crazy lady who lived with her father, and she hated the father. And she was just kind of seductive and yet, a train wreck at the same time. And I kind of just wanted to kind of untangle myself and just wanted to get a reality check on the situation. And so she found that was reading through that, you know, and she's like, I found out about this girl you're dating in Harbor Bay. And I, I guess how I got out of that one. I don't know. I said, I purposely put that fictional story there because I knew you'd been going through my stuff. <laughs> Whoa, the old switcheroo. Right. Talk about gaslighting 101. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I'd catch you cheating. I knew I'd catch you like going through my stuff. <laughs> Can you imagine the switcheroo? And so how does she take That was it? like a Roy like Svengali, right? Turning the tables. Totally. And well, she was apologetic. Oh, my God. She took it. She took the bait. Right. Wow. I know. Isn't that terrible? But these things, you know, I can I can be hey. a Walter White and justify them. Hey, you gaslight. You gaslight somebody. Somebody gaslights you. It all goes around. <laughs> right. Right. It's like we're all one big happy family, you know. What's wrong with a little gaslighting now and then? 
Shu su su wa shri da shra la la we we do so shra la la ha we di bo we di so da ro la da da shri lo pu pa la da da shra we di so. This is a news story going way back to 1993. Libertyville, Illinois, the town where where El Greco grew up. That's right. A high school football coach who, sta- <clears throat> who staged his own phony shooting to motivate his players resigned Wednesday. Quote, it is my opinion that using a weapon of any sort, whether it's real or not, is totally inappropriate, school superintendent Donald Gossett said. One startled player, senior lineman Mike Duffy, said, the shock of the idea we were going to die overshadowed any point Libertyville High School Dale Christensen was trying to make. So what the fuck happened here? I mean, is that poignant or what? What this kid says, I thought was incredibly poignant, right? Well, d- it's it's very philosophical. Well, tell so, tell the story. What happened? So this this coach, it was a wheel of misfortune. It was ill conceived from the ground floor up. Everything about it was wrong. So Libertyville, and so this happened the year after I graduated. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Um, Basically, he found the only two black kids in school, and he gave them a starter's pistol. So right off the bat, there's racial overtones, right? <laughs> like, who would have a gun? The black kid would have the gun. And who do you get in a fight with another black kid? Because they're always fighting. So he finds the only two black kids, and he gives one of them the gun. So as they're boarding the bus to go to super sectionals, like this fight breaks up between the two black kids. And so Coach goes over there, break it up, and one of the kids shoots Coach Christensen. And Coach Christensen has all these blood packs on him. <laughs> oh, God. Right? Like he's been watching too many um, Italian horror films, right? <laughs> right? Those hor- Italian horror films from the 70s were really bloody, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he falls down on the ground and uh, people go screaming. They run from the bus. They're hiding behind the, the pool. You know, they're calling 911. Ambulance and the cops race to the scene. And, like, he sits up like he's right out of, like, uh, you know, like uh, an Evil Dead movie. <laughs> like, what was that uh, George Romero film? Yeah. Night-, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. So he, he sits up with a smile on his face. And he goes, at that point, he goes, he knew he had gone too far, right? Because there's cops and there's ambulance and fire trucks. And so <laughs> I think what he was trying to do is, and he said this when I played football for him, was like he wanted to recreate the psychology one would have during a wartime situation. You know, like what is your mentality during during wartime? How you could overcome anything. You would kind of channel the super strength that you'd have and he'd tell stories about the battle of Imo Jimo, how like someone would have their legs blown off but then they would still be going come keep going forward keep going forward although all that was left of them was their torso their legs had been blown apart God, that's like something from weird war tales weird war tales so he was really into john wayne movies he was really oh into like kind of recreating how one might act during a war situation i mean it's just high school football, you fucking idiot. Why, you know, how would anything uh, where the stakes are so low ever amount to anything like wartime? I All mean, right. the guy's fucking delusional. Right. So, so I had a particularly miserable time playing 
my senior year, I was really sick. My allergies were awful. Like there has to be something like I would literally blow my nose and it could fill up a teacup with like discharge. I was just so sick and I was, I was slated to be a starter, but I was just losing weight. I was always sick. And he really made an example out of me. And I mean, like literally they would like videotape and I, I showed up late for like our first scrimmage before opening season. And I just made mistake after mistake. I was just getting my ass beat, you know, I was just, and I kept rewinding, showing, rewinding, showing like all the mistakes I was making. <laughs> like literally this went on for, this had to go on for no less than a half hour, just kind of reverse showing, reverse showing. There had to have been a classier way to show like this guy was exhibiting poor technique, you know, which, which I was among other things, but it was constant, like, you know, talking about Jesus and, you know, this and that and Jesus? God. Yeah, he was really into God. And then he'd like go into these like strange tangents, like women weren't put on this earth to be taken advantage of. <laughs> and, uh, and he'd be like, you know, on third down, you know, we want to make sure we keep containment. You know, women weren't put on this earth to be taken advantage of. <laughs> and I want the linebackers hanging back looking for like the play action pass. You know, <laughs> honestly, I mean, talking well, this- about it, talking about it, doesn't do it justice, right? Like it would be the stream of consciousness shit. And I remember going to Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp when I was in grade school. I kind of got talked into it down in like South or North Carolina. And the first time I went, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty horrible, but maybe it's me being a, not being open to new things. And then I went down there uh, the next year with the guys who were older than me and they were kind of like a little more kind of, they could see things with greater clarity. I'm like, isn't this great thinking it was supposed to be great? And those guys were like, God damn, I fucking hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all like fucking hating it. And, uh, cause they were a little wiser. The year ahead of me was just like cooler guys. And one of the guys said, uh, they were talking about how you can't listen to rock and roll. You know, they're talking about like, like you do not listen to rock and roll. And one of the guys, and these, these were like, solid football players for the school they're like you know when you start like criticizing my rock and roll you've gone too far (laughs) and i still remember that like you know that was when i was 15 and i never forgot that conversation in the dorm room at fellowship of christian athletes camp and there was a list of bands you weren't supposed to listen to and i remember this guy and these guys were kind of like jock eyes you know but at the same time it it was kind of lovable, Jock guys. When you start making, when you start criticizing my rock and roll, you've gone too far, <laughs> and I like that. God, yeah. I mean, it sounds like this coach had a screw loose. I mean, oh, and I was friends with his son too. I was kind of friends with the son, but we kind of, we kind of grew up, grew apart. Like he's like reached out to me on Facebook, and I said, yeah, and then I said, no, nah, I'm gonna unfriend you because <laughs> it's like the thing you know you you kind of just want to forget about your past you yeah, know sometimes yeah, yeah. you know and i i just i kind of remind remember like what a miserable time his his dad gave me yeah. and uh and uh and so then i you know just want to put the past behind you so this guy tried to fake his own death it's unbelievable right i mean thinking it, that this was gonna like teach high school age kids about how to be in a sort of combat mentality, how to summon their inner battle rage to, to, to win a fucking high school football game. Probably traumatized a bunch of kids 
you know, who, who thought this was real, what they were seeing, and then probably doubly traumatized when they found out it was fake and didn't know what the fuck to make of that. Right. And so his son, his other son, so he had a, he had a son and my grade and a son below me too. His son was on this team when this happened and his son thought, oh my God, my dad's been shot. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's all sorts of problems with this. It was like national news, but it's, it's, it's a funny thing, right? You know, like when you're like, I'm like listening and I'm, I'm looking around. Did I just hear what I thought I heard when he said, on third down, we want to keep containment. Women weren't put on this earth to be taken advantage of, which is a sweet sentiment, of course. But it was just so surreal. And no, everyone's just kind of like listening like automatons, like, yes. And I'm like, was, was I the only one to hear that? Am I the only one with who could hear the w- dog whistle? So I always hoped. I go, you know, in time, this guy's going to be revealed to be a fucking nut. You know? And sure enough, this happens, right? It's so super validating. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So he got uh, he got shit canned. I wonder whatever became of him. Well, I think he went and coached at North North Chicago after that. Oh really? He just went to another school and just picked well, right up. It was a school right where I think they probably vetted him and say, Hey, you're not gonna do this whole stint again. <laughs> He's nah he goes he goes, This time I got knives. <laughs> no, I so I think he did eventually. I think he it took a couple years off and then he went and coached at North North Chicago, but uh I remember after he got fired, then he changed his mind. He goes, no, nah, I don't think I am going to, you know, I ain't, I'm not going to quit. And they're like, no, you're going to quit or you're going to be fired. So there was a moment in time where he kind of changed his tune. Man. So think of the, think of the extent that he had to go to, to like get blood packs that would go off synchronized with the gun and everything. I mean, that you know, that, that's not like something you buy down at the joke shop. You know, he had to really think this out. Right. He put a lot of thought into this. And, uh, yeah, it was such a poorly conceived idea. I mean, especially the fact that he, of all the kids he chose, he he got the only two black kids to do it, right? So what, so your your community there in Libertyville, was it pretty racist? Uh, I can't say. I mean, I can't say... It was. I mean, I don't quite quite know. I mean, like, of course, you'd have racist jokes and stuff like that. I'll tell you something that was surprising because, you know, like every kid like has his like racist joke, right? About, you know, Jews and blacks and Polacks, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're always surprised when you hear it from an adult, especially if it's kind of nasty. Right. And when I was catting at uh, Knollwood Country Club in Lake Forest, which had a lot of wealthy people, I remember the vice president of 7-Up, I was catting in his foursome, and he hit like something off of the fairway with like his three-wood, and it just sputtered across the ground and never got flight. And he goes, man, look at that ball. It's like running like a nigger with a hubcap. Oh my God. Can you believe it? Yeah. I mean, is that is that haunting or what? Well, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's typical, I would think. Right, right. But um, yeah, like I heard stuff like that all the time, catting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it'd be, you know. So here's something, and I certainly don't harbor the skills to to kind of navigate this in an academic way. But when I was in Hawaii, Hawaii is a very intense multicultural kind of little. A petri dish and i'd be playing basketball quite a bit like the playgrounds right outside where i was staying and there'd be hawaiians blacks 
Filipinos, Chinese kids, white kids. And there was a lot of ethnic teasing that was sort of a celebration of cultural difference, right? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't behind their back. It was kind of almost like a cele- it was a celebration of cultural difference by like teasing like each ethnic group of what they're good at and what they're not or whatever. And it was it was very kind of festive. It it, it suggested a great sort of ethnic harmony that existed. But it, it sure is, I mean, it'd be one thing if there were a couple black guys in the foursome and he said that, right? You know, then that'd be kind of a different dynamic. It'd be something but to share. But the fact that the whole golf course is white. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Then it just makes it really creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Hit it, Joe! You all know my Uncle Monty, don't you? Monty the Magnificent at your service! Coming to see Uncle Mine's big benefit show? You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. 